0: First time podcast. I'm your host, Tad Good. If you've never listened to the first time podcast, or this is your first time listening to the first time podcast, I'll explain it. It's really simple. I have a guest on. I recommend something they've never experienced before, whether it's a movie, a show, a book, an album, even food, whatever they haven't experienced, and uh, get them to experience it for the first time, and we talk about it. It's really that simple. Today's episode, I am talking to a good friend of mine. Max Tiedemann. And uh, Max, you're a distribution and rights manager at Fixed, according to your Facebook.
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: So explain that a little bit for people who have no idea what that is.
1: Yeah, so I work at a independent record label, and I am basically the digital distribution guy. And so we have around 20, I think we have about 26 active artists, artists on our roster at our label. And whenever they finish mixing and mastering their tracks and then they have their cover art, their artwork picked out, they'll send, um, the, they'll send the audio and the art to me and then I will build it in our software systems and, uh, set the track list and, um, I'll input all the metadata. So like how long the track is, um, each track gets a specific code for tracking, who listens to it and where it goes. And then I will deliver it to all of the, uh, streaming platforms like spotify apple music title youtube music and so on so
0: awesome well the main reason i sort of ask that I, I you know some people don't even want to talk about their jobs but one you have a cool job and two it sort of relates to, t- to today's episode because um the reason this show sort of started was because I get people frequently asking me for recommendations on movies and TV shows, because I know I, I watch a lot of stuff. And when I was thinking about having you on as a guest, I was like, man, what, what could Max, what would, what do I think Max would enjoy? And you said you hadn't seen this movie. We're talking about a movie. And I thought, man, this one might be good for him because um, the music Itself sort of reminds me of you. So today's episode, we're talking about It Follows. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. Critics and audiences agree. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. It Follows is the best horror movie in over a decade. Whatever helps it get close to you. Do not watch this
1: alone follows. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. Rated R now
0: playing. So yeah, like I said, I recommend this one to you because even people who did not like this movie, it sort of splits right down the middle. There's a lot of people who absolutely love it, think it's the best horror movie, modern horror movie, the best horror movie of the last, you know, 20 years. And then there's people who think that it's completely overrated. But I feel like even the people who absolutely hate it and think it's overrated. Absolutely, still love the score. So, when you said you hadn't seen this, I'm like, even if Max doesn't like the movie, the score, he's he's gonna like the score because it's really cool.
1: Yeah, um, I was I was pretty blown away with the music. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I was, I I don't know, like it wasn't it was subtle most of the time for me, but it it I I thought it really rounded out um, the the whole experience for me, which is um, what I really enjoy about a good movie score i would say so
0: yeah yeah definitely so it follows came out in 2015 it was filmed 2014 came out 2015 um directed by david robert mitchell it was only a second film and sort of a low budget really cool indie horror movie that became a huge thing when it came out um it was like i said released in 2015 It had a $1.3 million budget, which is pocket change right now for films. Um, And they shot it in Michigan for tax advantages to save on the budget even. Um, A year after its release, it had grossed over $20 million. So they had really, really made quite a bit of money on this one. Um, Actually, yeah, it went... Originally, it was supposed to be uh, VOD at the same time as a limited theatrical release but after it did some festivals it got a lot of buzz and they decided to put it out in a few more theaters and after those screenings did so well they decided to release it wide and just completely canceled the VOD release and obviously it did very very well because like I said it went from a budget of 1.3 million and grossed over 20. So I remember we saw it opening weekend and me and me and Nikki and a few friends met up in Iowa city. We drove there to see it and we were blown away by it. And then after its first two weekends and limited theatrical of doing so well, it came to Burlington. So we went and saw it again. And I remember when it came out, it was a sort of huge buzz thing, especially in the horror world, but even amongst people who don't necessarily watch horror movies, a lot of people were talking about this a lot like uh, Midsummer was a few summers ago, where it felt like everybody had to go out and see this movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I was pretty surprised when you said you hadn't seen it, because, like I said, you're you're a lot younger than me. It's a newer horror movie, uh, and it seemed like it was sort of the the buzz movie of that summer. It was a really big deal.
1: Yeah, um, I I remember. Um, when it came out I remember seeing some commercials for it and I remember being intrigued but I, de- I I never thought to go see it in theaters and I never thought to ask anybody to go with me and see it I don't know it was it, it was definitely one of those movies that like the premise like it follows I was like hmm that sounds pretty you know that sounds kind of interesting like it, it it could have a really cool um just you know just a really cool premise so but I never ended up <laughs> going so
0: well, I'm glad because we wouldn't be sitting here recording this if uh, you had seen it when it came out, because, you know, this is all about f- seeing things for the first time. So uh, right. it's sort of a nice little segue you had there with, the, you know, the premise of It Follows, because I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the movie. And if you haven't seen this before, I I don't know why you've gotten this far into the podcast, because we're going to spoil things. Um, that's sort of what we do. There's no way to talk about a movie without spoiling things on the podcast. So right away, this movie kicks off. You sort of know, even if you hadn't seen trailers just by the title, what you're in for, uh, it kicks off right with a girl sort of stammering down the street and heels. She looks like she's terrified of something off the screen. The camera's sort of following her in a way. And it's clear she's trying to get away from something desperately Goes into a house, then she comes out. Her dad's like, "What's going on?" Gets in a car, drives as fast as she can away, and uh, then we have that horrific shot of her by the ocean—or I guess it wouldn't be the ocean because she's in Michigan, so probably a lake. And her leg is snapped, and she has a compound fracture; the bones hanging out. It's just a really intense way to kick off the movie in the in the score right away, too. That opening probably it feels like opening 10 minutes because it just crawls along but it's probably like a minute and a half or something is really intense right from the get-go before you even see the title of the movie annie
1: I definitely was a little taken aback when I saw the, yeah, the exposed bone and everything. Whenever you see her just dead in that crumpled up position on the, on the lake, on like Lake Michigan, I'm just like, Oh my God, this is going to be, this is going to be good. I feel like so.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, they set the bar pretty high right away for you to sort of know that, you know, this is going to be, this is not going to hold back at all. Um, and then we're sort of introduced to the our our lead Jay, who's played by Meka Monroe. She sort of became uh I, I thought she's gonna be a bigger star after this, but she's she's made herself her name in Hollywood quite a bit since now, or since the movie. She was in uh The Guest, which I think was before this, and we watched that together. Uh do you remember The Guest, what I'm talking about?
1: No. <laughs> that was
0: that was the one about the I, I think it was you that watched it with uh me and Blake it was about a a soldier that shows up at a house and turns out he's not just a soldier he's oh yeah 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 she played the girl that the waitress that lived at the house the little brother little sister of the guy who he claimed he was there to uh honor
1: yeah okay yeah totally yeah now I remember
0: yeah and then she went on to do some bigger stuff she ended up being the she played I think the president's daughter in what was supposed to be sort of her breakout role in independence day resurgence, the sequel to independence day. Uh, she played the, like I said, the president's daughter, but that movie sort of flopped hard. So it wasn't quite the big break she's expecting. And I think it follows has sort of been the thing that she's known for now, but that's not a bad thing. This movie's, you know, a, a really beloved by horror fans and, uh, just people in general, like I said, it's been such a success and uh, still it pops up on lists for like best horror movies of the last 25 years. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very beloved. I know that this past week, uh, my friend Jason and I recorded a podcast where we talked about the best horror scores, music scores of all time. And I put this one, I think at like six or seven, which is, and that's all the time. So that's pretty high up there. And, you know, no, no, no one argued with us because it's I think it's going to become, you know, a classic. It gets mentioned anytime people say, you know, oh, modern horror sucks. It's all about the old stuff. Like, no, this movie rules. Um, So back to the movie, you know, sort of <clears throat> kicks off right away with that scene where she's got the broken leg in half. And then we get to meet Jay and it's it's sort of a quiet eerie scene where she's just hanging out in the pool by herself. And then she goes in and she's checking herself out in the mirror. And I've seen this probably six or seven times now. Like I said, I saw it twice in theaters and I'm still catching little things that I did not realize uh, this time around that I did not realize last time I saw it. Um, But I will get back to those little Easter eggs later because if I talk about them now, it sort of spoils stuff at the end. But what's so cool about this movie are little things that are so weird. Like it shows Jay she's hanging out with her sister and two of her friends um, in, in a living room. They're watching old black and white movies on a TV that's on top of another TV, which is really weird. And her friend, I think it is, is reading, is reading a book or, or something on, a, on this little clamshell reader. Did you see? Or wrote us that thing?
1: Yeah, I thought it was like I honestly thought it was like a birth control kind of. I don't know. It looked it looked like some sort of thing, and I was just like, "What is that? Is is she like typing on that, or is she just like fiddling with it?" Yeah, it know.
0: it looks like a compact like makeup mirror type thing, yeah. or or a thing that holds birth control or pills or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's really unique, and everybody's wearing really you like weird clothes. Like her friend has like knee-high sports socks and and her the friend that's a boy who has a crush on her throughout the movie there's a part where he's wearing shorts but he's also wearing like three or two jackets layers but he's wearing shorts that are on the beach just really weird stuff and from what I've read online the director uh, David Robert Mitchell all this was completely intentional because one he didn't want to date the movie he didn't want to people to watch this movie in 10 years and say, you know, Oh, this is so 2015, you know, like when you watch an eighties movie, you can instantly recognize this eighties or nineties by the, the phones they're using, you know, or cell phones, they're not using or uh, any of the stuff, the style, anything, he tried to make everything as simple and unidentifiable as possible by having old cars new cars, devices like that, that clamshell reader it doesn't even exist in the real world. So he sort of wanted to put that in there. So people would be like, what is that? You know, and when was that a thing? And it never was. So you can't really, this movie doesn't really have a specific time it's set in, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. That was uh, probably one of the coolest things that I noticed, um, especially throughout the movie. In the beginning, I, I thought I was like, Oh, this is modern day because the girl in the very beginning who ends up getting killed in the opening scene, she peels out in like a Ford focus, like a a 2013 Ford focus. You could tell it's like a, a newer model and you're like, Oh, okay. So this is like, you know, 2010s. Cool. And then when the, you know, when the, the story picks up um, with the main character in the pool and then throughout, yeah, it's just like, Wait. So, what are we in the '90s? Are we in the '80s? Are we in the '20s? Like, where are we?
0: <laughs> right. And he also, I think, sort of said he wanted it to feel like a dream, like the whole movie to be dreamlike, because we have dreams. We see people we don't really know, but we feel like we know them. Or, you know, you have a dream about somebody who's supposed to be your brother, but you've never seen that person. Or you you see things that don't actually exist in your dreams. It's sort of weird that don't make sense and after reading that it does it makes sense that he would do that but um yeah just a really interesting approach to be that conscious of what you're putting into the movie that you don't want to date yourself it's it's a cool concept and you know not a lot of people think about that there's so many jokes and lines of dialogue that make you groan in movies that just came out five years ago you know so i hope that down the road it'd be interesting to watch this in another 10 years and see how we feel about it. Cause you watch movies like back to the future Two on how they predicted the future. And it's laughable. Cause you know, n- none of that stuff exists at all. What they thought would be the future. And not that back to the future Two was actually trying to predict the future. But like you look at blade runner or any of these things that are now technically set in the past. And it's like, they were so vastly off on what our future would look like. Uh, but you know, obviously this isn't trying to, estimate what the future would be or anything but it's just cool that he thought that deep to make certain little decisions that would not date the movie like like i said they're watching old black and white movies on a console tv that's sitting on top of another console tv it's like what what is that why would they do that it's so weird
1: yeah there's definitely a very unique thing about the movie that i don't think i've ever seen any other movie do that
0: yeah and the first time i saw it i i think everybody's the first time they see it is like when they see that clamshell thing like what the hell is that that's so strange it's it's like an e-reader but it's a clamshell thing i think i even saw somebody on reddit probably that made one that was usable but um yeah yeah, and and then we sort of get to jay she goes on a date with this uh sort of tall handsome dude they go out to see a movie and they're standing in line and they play this game where one of them is thinking about somebody that is there at the theater and the other person has to try to guess um, who they're thinking of or what why they want, if they could replace themselves with that person, who would it be? And it sort of just starts as an innocent game. And, you know, Jay is like, says something about, or no, he says something about the woman in the red dress and Jay can't see her and he starts to panic and that's sort of our first clue or sort of um even look into the rules of this movie like there's certain little rules that we learn throughout the movie and the first that's sort of the first time we realize that maybe the person who's infected is the only person that can see whatever it is that's following them mm-hmm. but it's a it's a pretty freaky scene cuz you know he obviously panics and wants to get the hell out of there in a hurry and we're not sure why we learn later why but um you think that he's just taking her out on a date and uh things sort of start to go really bad they they get out of there and takes her out in his old car which again you know he has like an old classic car so it's another one of those things that what what time set is this when does this take place? Cause he's got this old huge car they're making out in the back seat and he ends up drugging her. She wakes up tied to a chair with this. I think they're in like an abandoned building, which, you know, they're everywhere in, in uh, Michigan. So that makes sense. But yeah, <laughs> we're sort of learning like, okay, he's, he's got other motives and he has her tied up and he, he sort of explains the situation to her. She wakes up and and she's tied down. She's in her underwear. Um, and we see this thing slowly, slowly walking towards her like several stories down, but that's sort of, I mean, just the idea of this is just so creepy to me uh, that this, this thing never stops following you. And, You can pass it on to the next person And if that person goes And it goes on to the next person in line and It never stops That's what I think is the scariest part of this movie But that's sort of where we start to learn Like I said, the rules That the person who's infected is the only one that can see them Or if you've been affected You can see them, but no one else can And that this thing Never stops following You're not going to believe me
1: And I need you to remember What I'm saying
0: This thing... It's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me... and I passed it to you... back
1: in the car. It could look like someone you know...
0: Or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It can look like anyone. But there's only one of it.
1: Help.
0: Help. Sometimes, sometimes I think it looks like people you love just to hurt you.
1: And especially the way it follows, you know, it's like like a zombie walk, I guess, is how I would describe it. Like it, it walks towards you. It doesn't like sprint, which I think would be equally as terrifying, but I don't know, like I would just be I would have a hard time looking in one direction at all, you know, for any amount of time if I was affected by it, because like if you just like if you're not looking in aware of your surroundings it it could just be right there it's like terrifying
0: right exactly and um we see jay she's she's in class the next day after this happens and she looks out the window and she sees this old lady in like a nightgown or like it looks like sort of like a hospital gown slowly walking across the campus which definitely is a red flag because you know old ladies don't walk across i'm assuming she's in i can't tell if she's in high school or college but um once again, probably one of those things he intentionally did so we can't see how old she is. But she's slowly walking across this field. She gets up and leaves class. Um, she gets the hell out of the out of there. But the other students don't see her. So obviously, that was the thing that was following her. It's definitely another creepy ass scene. Um, but the director, he said that the basic idea of being followed by something that looked like different people very slow always coming from it came from a reoccurring nightmare he had when he was a kid and then later he added the aspect that it sort of could be um compared to like an std like the sexual aspect of it is you know when you when you have sex with somebody now they're the first one that the thing comes at um for a long time When this came out, he sort of didn't talk about that because everybody was like, oh, it's an analogy for STDs. You know, if you have sex with somebody, you have it now and you're going to give it to the next person. And and if you die, you know, the next person still has it, that kind of thing. But he says that it came at two different points in his life when he was young was the thing that followed him. And then later he added the whole aspect of it being sexual.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But uh Yeah, it's, it, there's just so many, like, I think after that scene, she goes home, she's hanging out with her friend who has sort of a crush on her, which is very obvious from the beginning. And they hear some glass shatter. They all sort of think that she's crazy because she's talking about this. She's trying to explain it to her friends. Like, he has sex with me and now this thing is after me. They all think that she's paranoid, that it's ridiculous. Because if you heard your friends say that, you probably would. Um yeah she hears some glass shattering. She goes to check on it in the kitchen and there's this sort of younger looking woman with one boob out and she's in her underwear and she's pissing herself walking slowly through the kitchen, which is another like, holy shit moment. So she, uh, she runs obviously from her screaming. They can't see her. So they think she's still crazy. She goes upstairs to her room. And to me, this is probably the scariest moment of the entire movie. She's, She's upstairs in the room and her friends come and knocking on the door and they're asking, you know, let us in, let us in. There's nothing out here. And she opens the door and this gigantic fucking dude uh, walks through the door. He has to duck to get through the doorway. He has to be over seven feet tall and uh, holy shit. That moment still, even though I know it's coming freaks me the fuck out.
1: Yeah. Especially with being in on the second floor of a smaller house. Like right. anytime, like that would be the the, the worst thing for me. I, I think if, if it was following me, it's just knowing that like if I sleeping inside and like you got to have like more than one exit strategy, you can't just have like one door. It's like you have to be able to get out the window if you can or go down the hallway or something. That's the scariest part is like having it follow you so closely indoors.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's so wild because it also changes like you like she, it was a female in the basement or downstairs in the in the kitchen when she goes upstairs, it's this gigantic guy and it changes from downstairs to upstairs and they can't see it. And like you said, she's stuck upstairs. It's every it's sort of that old horror rule, you know, never go up the stairs. And uh, she did exactly that, but right. Yeah. But man, when that, that giant walks through the, the door and the sound, like the music is just perfectly cued to that so damn creepy
1: yeah definitely
0: and i i was reading on imdb that the and i don't know if it's true because you can never trust anything you read on the internet but apparently in the in the theatrical release the music was much louder in the overall mix than it was when it came out on dvd or blu-ray i've never noticed it because like i said i saw it twice in theaters and i've watched it several times at home but the uh, music itself could warrant its own podcast. Um, it's done by the score done by disaster piece. And he actually, before this had never done a movie, he had done some video games and that's what he was famous for. And the director asked him to do the music for this movie. And he sort of refused and said, you know, I don't, I've never scored a movie. That's a huge deal. I can't just do that. I've never done it. And, and uh, David Robert Mitchell said, you know, well, I'm not doing the movie unless you do the score. So he sort of put an ultimatum up and he ended up knocking out of the park. Uh the music sort of a lot of people compare it to like old uh late 70s, early eighties, synth, uh John Carpenter type music, but I think it's beyond that. It has a little bit of that chip tune to it. It's very digital, weird. Uh something about it just sort of feels dizzying and it feels it fits the movie so well because it's hard to it's retro while being modern while being almost futuristic at times too yeah really cool though i mean overall what like was i right that you and you would think that the score was cool at least
1: absolutely yeah
0: yeah like i loved it (laughs) oh yeah i listen to it a lot while i'm working on stuff i have it on vinyl it is so cool just on its own it's really good it has some intense moments and some slow swooning moments like when jay's in the pool and that kind of stuff there's some just really fantastic moments in this score but um back to into the movie they're they're sort of chilling at the beach and of course you know the worst thing happens and she's sitting in in a sort of lawn chair and her hair just sort of goes up and we see it from the perspective of her friends, which we haven't seen yet where we can't see it, but we see what it is doing. And they finally see what she's talking about because up until this point, they had really just thought she was a lunatic, but they see the saying grab her by the hair and pick her up. And then it flips to the perspective, you know, of, of her, but such a cool thing to see. It's sort of like that old universal monsters, invisible man type thing, but it's done so well here. Um, they thought they were sort of safe over by the beach and they they run, they hide in this little building and then the, the door breaks in and there's this creepy kid who sticks his head in the door. Like they just get the creepiest things to play it. And, and
1: he like kisses. He like kisses <laughs> them. And I'm like,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah. And I really don't know the motivation of changing the character. Every time she sees it, it's something different other than maybe the idea is that you can't like, if you, if you see, if you saw at the beginning of the movie and what it looked like, you could always recognize what it is because when she's in certain, there's certain parts in the movie where she's amongst a group of people and she can't tell who's a person and who's it, you know, she suspects this person's it, but it's not just walks past her or, you know, little things like that. Yeah. But, uh, the kid, yeah, the kid crawls through the door and then, uh, it turns into a little girl and, uh, it's just, yeah. Uh, she gets in the car and she, she peels out, ends up crashing the car, wakes up in the hospital. Um, then there's this older dude that hangs out with them. I assume he's older. He seems like he's older. He's sort of the, the bender of their, he reminds me of bender from breakfast club. Yeah. Cause he has like the longer hair and wears the boots and stuff. And he's sort of got a cocky attitude. Like it's it, strangely enough, this will date the podcast but he reminds me of people that are like you know corona won't get me i'm fine because he he just sort of blows it off like look jay if we have sex it will be after me and i'm tough and i it won't it won't affect me yeah he sort of has that attitude in this movie and uh so she ends up having sex with him in the hospital and uh he ends up paying dearly for it
1: yeah and i definitely i can see the parallel too with uh if, if you're thinking about like stds um with as the the creature as the thing that follows like it's like oh yeah i can i don't need to be safe it's like i can totally um just wing it and it'll be fine and then right go and (laughs) bold yeah yeah
0: yeah and that's i think outside of the the opening girl we don't really actually see the the it really do the damage we just see the aftermath of it but this is the first time when she she sees uh, I think it's his, like he's walking and he she goes into his mom's she runs into the house breaks in, goes up to his mom's room and there's like flashes of light and it's pretty crazy uh, when we actually see it sort of killing it doesn't just like snap your neck or kill you it's sort of like I don't even know what you'd describe it as there's just big blue flashes of light like lightning
1: it looked like it's it was like consuming uh, his soul. That's what it looked like. It looked like, I, d- I think, didn't it like, it tried to like make out with him. And right. It yeah. Like he was, it was basically like he was a Dementor from the Harry Potter universe, just like sucking out your soul. And then you're like, then he's like laying on the ground, just like blue.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the only time we actually see it, you know, take over or, or kill someone. Cause it put, then it puts the, the curse I guess you'd say right back at Jay because she's next in line so you know not not saying that he did it for nothing but his arrogance of I'll do it and then I'll protect you sort of uh backfired on him because now he's gone yeah so it didn't last very long either no no not at all like days or it, it's sort of I, I think maybe that was sort of a lesson in the movie like you know no matter what you do you're gonna get it's gonna get you and uh We're sort of still learning at this point the rules on, you know, what can it do? How far will it go? Because you think when you're watching this, what would I do? And obviously everybody's like, I'd get in my car and drive as far away as possible to buy myself time. But you could never sleep because you never know when this thing is coming because it's not like there's a rule book on this thing. You don't know if it can, you know, you assume by the rules that it just has to it, it will slowly walk at you so if you were to drive across the country it would take a while but it would eventually catch up to you but nobody knows that it can't you know transport from one place to another there's not it's not right. like it f- follows human rules or something but
1: uh, right yeah it's like if you were if you were to like fly to europe or fly to another continent it's like would that solve your problem or would it like would it literally just walk on the sea floor until it walked all the, all the way across the ocean or would it teleport or would it, like, I don't know, get on a plane and, like, sit in a spot? and just
0: like, <laughs> Right, right. And that's that's a perfect, uh another perfect segue by you because uh, I have a few quotes here. The director said in an interview that the monster could potentially board a plane in order to follow the cursed person. So he's saying that it could get on a plane. People, if you're not infected, you can't see it. So it could go right on a plane without any problem. Mm-hmm. But that's just... It's funny to think about, like, just like, I don't know, any any of these creatures, because he makes them definitely look, you know, dark and weird and, and scary looking, because if it was just people, it wouldn't be. Yeah. But um, then there's a scene where she is, shows up at the lake and she's sort of impromptu, looks like she's going to swim out to a boat and they never really... Explain what that's about, but I believe we're supposed to assume she's going to go out and have sex with at least one of these guys to pass it on to a stranger, mm-hmm. and we learn that she, I, I, we assume that she chickens out because when she comes back, she's, you know, she's, I don't think she has because she's still worried about it and the thing is still after her. So if she did, the thing just went and killed them instantly, and to me doing that i mean of course you don't want to do that to a friend but doing it to a stranger would be worse because you don't know when it gets that so that you you don't really save yourself anything you know
1: right you'd have to be smart with who you who you pick
0: to right
1: on to be like okay i'm entrusting you with this now you need to go pick someone that you trust who's you know smart enough not to get you know killed instantly
0: right and her friend that has a crush on her. I'm trying to remember his name. Maybe it's like, I know there's a Paul in the movie. I don't remember if that's Paul or if the older guy's Paul, but, uh, he is, so, is actually sort of upset that she has sex with the older guy, which is mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. It's her friend, Paul played by Keir Gilcrest. He's really good in this. He's has that sort of hipster, weird look, yep. uh, quiet, awkward guy, but he plays the role really well. And, he gets jealous that she has sex with the older guy, which is funny because it's like in this situation, you would think she's the last guy or last girl you want to have sex with. But I, it's probably just sort of a territorial thing. Like he's, he's like, you know, we've been friends forever. I've always had a crush on you. Why wouldn't you trust me with it? And she's like, because I, I already had sex with the other guy and I don't want to hurt you. So it's like, take it as a compliment that she let sacrifice this dude, I guess. Exactly. But uh he still sort of takes offense to it. But um after they go after we assume that she did not, you know, end up having sex with the strangers on the boat, uh there's this funny scene that I noticed where this kid pulls up on a bike and one of his wheels has rims and one has like a mag rim, and I'm like, There's another one of those little weird things that he hit the bike can't even be like we can't even say what year the bike was in like that that was clearly a decision that was made but that's the scene when they're pulling out of the house because you know it's following her or or no they're they're getting away they're going to the building with a pool and there's a naked guy on the roof oh
1: Uh, yeah yeah yeah.
0: they're they're backing out of the driveway and up on the roof is this like like i don't know who it is but it's it it's it and it's followed them to her house and he's up on the roof completely naked. And it's just like, at this point they know that it's real. So they're just asking like, is it there? Can you see it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? That's like their best bet is just to ask, which is another terrifying aspect of it is that they have no idea. She's the only one that can see it and they have to trust in her to know where it's at. Not that, but they can't be affected by it either. I I, I mean, not that it's going after them, but you know, yeah, it's, yeah. And I I think in the trailers, I remember seeing the scene, they have the guy in like pajama pants or underwear or something. He's not naked, obviously in the trailer, but they shot it with him or inserted like put in like CGI pants or something later because it's such a um, moment, like another one of those shocking moments, but they couldn't show all of them in the trailer. I'm glad that, I didn't have a lot of it spoiled before I saw it. Um, But the, the scene where they're heading to, and I've always sort of wondered this, is this a school? What is this? The building with the the big pool in it.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't, I actually don't know. I, I thought it was a school at first, but I, I really couldn't tell you. Uh, Maybe it was like a, a, a recreation center or something like that.
0: Yeah. It feels like it's in the middle of nowhere uh because they park and they walk quite a while wa- quite a ways to it and they break through like a fence to get to it so i i my first thought was like is this like a old shutdown like private school or something but it might be a rec center it could be like i don't even i don't know but it's it's this building in the middle of nowhere and they have this sort of ridiculous plan but the moment when they're walking up to that building and the music Goes into full swing and it plays what I consider sort of the main theme, the duh, na 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 na. Like that moment for mm-hmm. me, like always gives me goosebumps because I love that music and it. They just crank it to ten right there. Goes all the way up, super super loud and just bombastic. It just, it's like here it is, the climax. We know we're we're reaching towards the end. and they 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 get jay into the pool and they set up all this stuff all around the pool and their idea i guess is to get this thing in the pool and i assume what was their plan to electrocute it or throw these i don't i don't really it was a bad plan
1: their plan was to electrocute it i believe they had all those like
0: like like toasters and microwaves uh, yeah yeah, and in retrospect it's really stupid cuz we see what happens, but when you're in when you're that age and you're like what else do I do, you know, it probably was like this is a great idea. It's like a Hardy Boys or something. Like these these dumb kids are like we got a plan. We're going to get it in the water. We're going to outsmart it. We're going to electrocute it and that will be the end. And uh she's she's waiting in the pool and her friends are all around. They're just waiting for this thing to show up. And it finally shows up and she obviously panics. She's like, it's here, it's here. And here's where the thing I was talking about earlier, where I've, I've never noticed this before until I watched it this time. But at the very beginning of the movie, when Jay gets out of the pool and she's standing in the bathroom looking at herself, there's a couple pictures that are sort of stuck in the picture frame or the, the mirror frame in the bathroom. And one of them is a picture of her family we don't really see her family besides her sister in this movie. I think we might see her mom, but she's obviously never home because the kids are all hanging out at their house, but we definitely don't see her dad. But I realized that there's a picture, like a family picture at the beginning. She looks at, and it has her dad in it. And at the end of the movie, when they're in this pool, her sister's asking her, what's he look like? Where's he at? What's he look like? And she says, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's because it's her dad. Oh Yeah. So it's like I didn't I've seen like I said, I've seen this like five or six times. I didn't realize until this time that, oh, the reason she doesn't want to tell her sister is because it's their dad and apparently, you know, he's he's dead and she didn't want her sister to freak out. But obviously that makes it way worse when your own dad shows up and uh, obviously not her real dad, you know, not really her right. dad. It's yeah. the creature, but it's it makes you wonder, is this saying take forms of people I mean, did it take like, is this like the final boss level where it takes the, the look of her dad the so that, you know, it, it, it's even worse. But they, uh, the thing shows up at the pool and they're asking her, you know, where is it, where is it? And this thing starts throwing stuff at her in the pool. So it, the plan immediately backfires on them because yeah. it's throwing things right at Jay and it's hitting her and she's bleeding. Uh, and then one of their friends has a gun and tries to shoot the thing. They can't even see it, and it's like the worst gun safety because it ends up shooting their friend right in the leg. Yeah.
1: Her friend got shot in the the leg or something. I was like, oh my god.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, they they pull what is actually what they should have been doing from the very beginning. They throw a sheet over the thing so they can see where it is, yeah, and and shoot it in the head. It's like when they finally throw that sheet on. it, It's like, why didn't you do that earlier? That's or or like i guess i've just seen too many invisible man horror movies but it's like just throw some flower or throw something water anything that we can see the outline of this thing uh yeah, they was, shoot uh, it in the head th- and push it in when, the pool um,
1: yeah it was a i thought it was interesting um knowing when you find out that uh the the creature has a physical form even though your friends can't see it or only you can see what it looks like, but it, it takes physical space in our world. Um, right. When they're on the beach, you know, and the kid and one of the friends, the kid, the guy who has a crush on the main character, he like smacks the creature with a lawn chair and it like the lawn chair, like stops midair and it breaks. And that's when they realize like, Oh my God, this thing is, this thing is real. Like I connected with nothing. And, um, right. So,
0: yeah, so that you can physically touch it and and in this case, you know, shoot it and hurt it. Um, so, yeah, it does exist in their world. They just can't see it. And it's, it's interesting. Like, I think Tarantino sort of, Quentin Tarantino did an interview and they asked him about like his favorite movies. And he said this was one of his favorite horror movies of the last like 10 years. But he was mad because he said, It was good, but it could have been great because he thought that uh, he didn't establish a set set of like a very specific set of rules that they followed. Like he he thought that there should be a almost rule book on this thing and it had to follow those rules. Now, to me, I'm I like it sort of mysterious in a way like I don't I don't need it to follow specific rules. That's maybe why it's so scary to me Mm -hmm. is that we're slowly learning the rules as it goes um cuz to him he was saying like you know well how can you shoot this saying you know why didn't they do this before why hasn't somebody tried that before why didn't this happen or that happen i'm like if you think about that you'll never enjoy a movie exactly yeah and you know they they shoot this saying and throw it in the pool and there's this really just sort of gorgeous scene where the blood is filling up the pool and it looks like clouds sort of like cloudy oh, yeah. blood and it's just it's for a gory scene, it's very gorgeous and the music's playing and you you have that feeling, oh, it's over. You know, they they got it. It's not going to follow her anymore. Uh, but there's before they before that, even uh, they shoot it and throw it in the pool. And there's that really scary, scary scene where it falls in the water and it has a hold of her leg and she's trying to get out. and She's stuck underwater. And to me, that's like one of my biggest fears. I am not a swimmer. I don't enjoy water and uh, being held underwater like that is just absolutely terrifying. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that'd be insanely scary. I would not want to get pulled under underwater by that creature.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So that's sort of not, not quite the end. Um, We do later see that she ends up finally sleeping with Paul Mm -hmm. um i i'm not sure if it's because she's i mean she obviously still has she has feelings for him too you know he still has feelings for her but i it seems almost like you know i'm passing it to you and then we see him driving through detroit and there's a scene where he's driving and he sort of looks out at some prostitutes and it's like is this insinuating that he's going to pass it on to these women i mean obviously that was shot for a reason that's sort of the very end but. um, did you feel that from, from the sh- the scene or did you just sort of feel like that was the end?
1: I don't know. I felt like the movie should have ended after the, uh, um, the pool scene. I don't know. I thought I was really enjoying the movie up until, uh, up until after the pool scene. And then anything after that, I was just kind of like, is this, I was like, I don't know. Is, is this necessary? Not Not exactly sure. So, but.
0: Yeah, because they leave it sort of open ended. Like we don't know if she officially killed the thing. We don't know if she's. I mean, we if she if she did not kill the thing, she passed it on to Paul. We assume Paul did not pass it on because they never really show anything. They show him well, driving around, maybe looking for something to pass someone to pass it on to.
1: Right, and it, it it seems to me like she passed it on to him so that they could work together because she can still see it even though it's not attacking her, right? Because she could see it attack um, the one dude who slept with her in the hospital and who got killed in his house. You can see it, but it's, you you can see it when it's not attacking you, if you passed it on already. So if they're together, if they're a couple and they both can see it, there's a better chance maybe that they can avoid it or work together to make sure that it doesn't get either of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, It's sort of, I think there's a scene towards the end where they're just walking down the sidewalk as a couple and the director clearly plays a little bit of mind games with us because in like the far background, you know, blurred out because they're, they're so far behind or there's, there's people walking on the sidewalk behind them. And it's like in your mind, after watching this movie, you're just assuming that if there's somebody around, they're following, they're getting followed, you know? And it's like, is that someone, is that it following them still? You know, uh, it's just, yeah. you never know if it's over. It sort of leaves an ambiguous opening, but, or uh, closing. But yeah, it's, it's really cool. I really love this one. Um, overall, did what did you think of the movie?
1: Overall, I would give, if I had to rate it, I would probably give it like a an eight out of 10. I liked it. I did, but like I said, I thought, that I thought it should have ended after the pool scene or maybe, you know, maybe like an ending credit where they're all talking about it. And, but yeah, but I do, I do appreciate how, how they do leave it open ended. So it's just like, well, they shot it in the pool and it started bleeding everywhere. So it it should be dead. Right. But then there's more to the story and it's still following them at the very end. And I'm just like, and I thought I was assuming it was going to tie it all in. Um, to the girl in the very beginning of the movie Um, where I assumed like in the beginning when it's the, the, the girl who gets murdered on the beach, that's present day. And then I assumed like, okay. And the main story takes place um, back in the day or something like that. And then it's going to wrap it up, but I don't know that, that was where I thought it was going. And then, but again, it's great that it, um, it does leave it open-ended because it kind of, you know makes it a little scarier that way
0: yeah i've always sort of been drawn to horror where not everything's explained like i this movie to me it's clear that he's the director is influenced by john carpenter's halloween because in that movie that's sort of the first proto slasher of its kind where michael myers one day just murders his sister They lock him up and then one day he gets out and he just goes after Laurie Strode and there's no rhyme or reason until later in the series, you know, they have to give a reason, which a lot of people hate. And that's what I sort of like about it is that there's no rhyme or reason, you know, that this thing is coming for you and it's just it's just coming for you. And that's it. And that's scary enough. You know, we don't need a big explanation.
1: Yeah, I I would definitely not be able to sleep. Like I would have to like booby trap. I don't know, like, that would be just terrifying. Be like, I, I, I could never sleep or I'd have to, like, hire bodyguards or something or, like, set up tripwires just so... Like, the guy um, who gave it to her in the beginning where he was staying at, like, that abandoned house or whatever...
0: Right, yeah, they go in there and bottle, they find... Yeah.
1: He had, like, bottles uh, lined up on the windows. Everything was booby traps so that if it, was, if it did make it to him while he was sleeping, he could hear it coming and then at least escape. Um, if it made noise, so, and the the other thing, it's, like, what I think, what I want to know is, like, can can we just trap it, like, if we can't kill it, if you can't shoot it, and mortally, you know, and wound it, and, and then it dies, it's, like, well, since it takes up physical space, it takes up physical space in our world, what if we, you know, throw the sheet over it, and then, I don't know, box it in, <laughs> like, put, like, a, like, a metal cage, or, like, or, you know, or, like, lead it into a prison cell and then lock the door and then you know if that's what I want to know is like can we just like lock it up and then it still lives but it never hurts anybody else
0: right and I've thought about all that stuff too and how what I would do and I think right after I saw it I told Nikki like it's like one of those things where we left the theater and we all went to parking lot we're like talking about it and I was like I think If I was in that situation, I knew it was after me. I would just kill myself like I am already super anxious all the time. I worry too much. I don't sleep well. I think overthink everything. And if this was happening to me, life just wouldn't be worth living for me. I know it's dark, but to you would you would never be able to relax or sleep. And I mean, we see that with her her friend who like you said he went to the house and he had the bottles and all this stuff set up it's like he couldn't truly even relax you know what good is life if you, you you are constantly worrying about this thing and that's just this movie gets to my core because I'm naturally like I said I'm naturally always paranoid and sort of just anxious so this movie plays on that big time
1: right I think I think in order to live a somewhat okay life if that happened to you what you would just have to have faith in the person that you pass it on to, you know, and have faith that they'll be able to pass it on to the next person and not get murdered themselves. And then, you know, so on and so forth. And eventually like if enough people succeed and they pass it on enough times, you might be able to live your whole life or, you know, maybe, a, I don't know, a good five to 10 years without it following you for a while. If, you know, people really figure out how to cheat the system. I don't know. So.
0: Yeah. Um The director, David Robert Mitchell, also said that neither a condom nor same gender sex would stop the monster and the curse would still be passed. So he's got certain rules set up, but just what we were talking about a few minutes ago is sort of like uh, J.K. Rowling. is like, stop talking about it. I don't, you know, I don't need to know... Too many yeah. of the rules, like of course yeah. we're all going to debate them to the to the end. But when he comes out and he's like, "This is how it is," it's like, uh, maybe maybe don't don't give us all the rules because it makes us wonder and talk about it. You know?
1: Yeah, I can see that. I also I, I kind of like like knowing the rules a little bit. I, I do. I think in horror movies, I think in horror and thrillers, it is great to have mystery. Because that adds to the suspense and adds to the, the terror. I, I do appreciate that. But if we're watching like a good sci-fi movie, you know, or like something where there's a lot of backstory and there's the plot is pretty intense, like I want to know everything that I can possibly know. Like I don't want you to be like, oh yeah, they just do that because they do. And it's just like, but why? <laughs> Explain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so. there's there's a lot of interesting stuff. Like when I, when I did a little bit of research, um, I would say half-assed research on this um, reading about it. There's so many different things that people have read into. And I don't know. I think some of them are probably a little far-fetched where people just are connecting things that necessarily aren't there, but some of them are interesting. Um, There's some theory that water, like like bodies of water play a big thing in this, which does make sense. We, we first meet Jay. She's in a paddling pool and she's safe and she's relaxed. And then um, whenever she gets to bigger pools of water, like the lakes, uh, things are more dangerous. Like when she's by the beach or when she's going to go out and swim to those guys in the very beginning with the girl at the lake, um, there's a lot of sort of water, stuff in here and you know the ending takes place in a pool um i don't know if that's just you know like michigan's covered in in lakes but um yeah (laughs) there's just so many different theories out there like uh there's a scene where she's playing old maid with cards and she sees like an old woman card right before that scene where the old woman's seen walking at her um there's there's like a theory about uh how a ball seems to follow the curse throughout the movie because a ball hits her window and lands in her garden. Um, Later when they go to Hugh's house, they find a picture of him holding a ball after Greg is, after Jay has slept with Greg, a ball is seen bouncing from the direction of Jay's house towards Greg's house. And when Jay sees Greg dying, the motive on her t-shirt, a blonde girl and a ball is, is seen. Wow. So, so I don't know if that's a coincidence. I mean, with this, with this director clearly, he thinks of you know that's not i don't think that would be a coincidence he clearly thinks of small details everywhere and puts little things throughout the movie so you know it's one of those movies that you can go online and read about to death uh and like i said some some of the stuff like i'm i'm on here right now and someone says uh the colors of red and pink are used to foreshadow the upcoming appearance of it as they appear either in the background or a character's piece of clothing, whenever it attacks, it's like, that could be a coincidence, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. I love that. Whenever, whether you're reading a book or, you know, watching like, like a star Wars movie or something, it's just like, Oh, this is this way because of this. And then the author, you know, or the director is like, no, I just really liked that color. So I chose that, you know, stupid stuff. Like, I think that's kind of funny. It's just like, but that's great. That means that it shows that you made a great, piece of art that people want to talk about and want to dissect and they want to expand on, I guess, your world that you've created, even if it's not canon, they still just want, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to talk about it and read about it and experience it in a different way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, even another one, I noticed people say when uh, Jay and her friends are talking to Hugh, who's the, uh, I think Hugh is the older guy she sleeps with. Uh, Jay is seen yeah. carefully placing five leaves of grass on her thigh. Later, when she inspects herself after it grabbed her under the water in the pool, she finds exactly five marks on her leg. That could be five fingers because the guy was grabbing her leg. I don't know, but you know, I wouldn't put it past the director to do little things like this. Right, but like you said, uh, it sort of shows how much this like this is a thinking person's movie because they watch it and they want to read and find little things throughout the movie is interesting right and there's all kinds of people who are out there connecting this to Stephen King's it uh because there's some actors that went from this movie to that movie and little things but I think that one's just a purely coincidence and people trying to find things but um right yeah uh I've seen the director, you know, after this, it was sort of one of those things like uh, David Robert Mitchell. He is, when you direct a big movie like this, your next movie is a big deal. Like I remember when Tarantino did Pulp Fiction, it was like, okay, what's next? He did Jackie Brown. It's a great movie, but a lot of people were like, well, it's no Pulp Fiction. So it's really hard to sort of follow up a huge movie like this. And he did, a movie called under the silver lake, I believe is what it's called. I've seen it. I loved it, but it did not obviously do quite as well as this. And I'm, I'm really hoping that he gets another big shot at a fun movie. A lot of people were wanting a sequel to this. I don't, I think I say, leave it where it is. No sequels. We don't need it again.
1: It follows again,
0: (laughs) right? Like it still follows. I don't know yeah I just, it's still there yeah i just feel like anytime a movie in general is a financial success everybody's so quick to do sequel um and especially yeah. horror movies but i think
1: i, I think that, that that's probably that's something i didn't know that you that you talked about at the beginning of uh, the pod this podcast was that it made uh the budget was really small and it made like hundreds of millions you said and i think that's it seems like that can happen. That happens more often than not in like the horror genre, because the biggest example I can think of, of, of like, like an, un, like a financial, like just a knockout of the park is like, or a grand slam is like a, the paranormal activity series. Like, didn't they shoot that? They shot like the first one for like, what was not it? Like 35 grand. And then they made yeah like, 400 million. They made like hundreds of millions, like, can you even imagine that? Like, oh yeah, like our budget was like 35 because they shot like the whole movie with like home, you know, little point and shoot home cameras. And it's just like, oh, this is real. It's scary. Like that just, so that is really cool that um, this movie, you know, had a very small, it doesn't even seem like it, it did a good job. I, I never once thought like, oh yeah, they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a ton of money to, to, their budget wasn't very big for this one, but yeah, that's just always impressive when then they can they can just make all that money back and like ten time ten times over
0: right yeah and uh i that's sort of what the horror genre has always been known for it's when it started like the early horror movies really and going even into the eighties, it was sort of seen as um trying to find a, a PC way of saying it because the the old saying was not very PC, but people basically were like, I can make these for next to nothing. They are quick, they're easy, and they always make their money back. They never lose their money, always make their money back. And some of them, if you hit gold, you make a lot of money. So for a while, you know, especially after Halloween, there was so many movies that try to sort of copy it, copy of success because when John Carpenter's Halloween came out in 1978, it was the highest grossing independent film of all time for many years, I think until the nineties. And of course that created a huge frenzy. There was Friday the 13th, April fool's day, uh, my bloody Valentine, happy birthday to me. um, New year's evil. Every holiday had a new slasher movie. Uh, And you know, it's just, like you said, it's just they saw that Halloween cost nothing, made tons, and they wanted to copy that. Of course, these movies weren't as successful. And then as these movies got bigger, they started throwing more money at them. So when they're spending more money and making less money, they sort of burnt themselves out in the late 80s. The, the genre died down until Scream came out and reinvigorated the genre into this sort of like teen pretty teens being stalked by a killer thing until i don't know maybe the you know that was the mid to late 90s and then i think the sort of next trend was the like torture porn saw and that kind of stuff and then yeah. we had we had the resurgence of it's sort of funny cuz i remember i think the thing that took the title from halloween as the most successful um highest grossing independent movie was teenage mutant ninja turtles surprisingly and the live action one and then after that i think blair witch project took that crown and that was another one that was definitely my generation's uh paranormal activity where this movie came out and everybody was talking about it it was a huge thing because a lot of people truly believed it was real like it wasn't a movie yep. like they really found the footage and then you know they did the same exact thing with paranormal activity where they shot this sort of shaky cam home home video type movie for next to nothing it made a ton of money and then we saw a huge surge of these found what they called found footage movies yeah, burned I, themselves I, out you know
1: i i love that's probably my favorite one of my favorite like techniques i guess i don't know but i think it works so well with like uh thrillers and horror movies like like i know a lot of people don't like cloverfield but i absolutely i i just love that like i like the mid to late 2000s because of paranormal activity like the point and shoot uh, or yeah the found footage videos it really does make it feel real. Like I can totally understand why a certain amount of people would think that the Blair Witch Project footage was actual footage. Like same thing happened with like the exorcist, didn't it? Like people like thought like they would be, you know, people thought that it was actually cursed and stuff like that. Like it had like a pretty crazy reaction. So,
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause you know, people I've watched the exorcist with, people not too long ago or you play it in a theater now and people will laugh at it and but when it came out you know people were absolutely terrified and I watched Blair Witch Project probably a couple years ago and it obviously didn't have the same effect on me as it did in the 90s but you know it's so weird because I don't know a lot of people say it's because we're desensitized I don't think that's it I think it's just like a generational thing we just find something else that sort of freaks us out but found footage gets a lot of bad rap because it like you said the um paranormal activity movie sort of revamped that and brought them back into the limelight and of course just like any anything when something's a hit everybody wants to jump on that boat and there was a lot of crap that did come out but the stuff that's done well is really cool um as above so below i think is one man that that, that freaked me out yeah
1: i remember seeing the trailer um, for that movie and I just remember like getting so scared and excited at the same time like I just love it w- when when a movie has a great concept even if it's not executed perfect you know even if the, if the execution is a little shaky like I thought um, as above so below like I thought it could have been executed a little bit better like I was satisfied with it but like when I saw the trailer and when I heard it's like oh they're going into the Paris catacombs like that is going to be some next level like it's it's going to be so cool. I was so excited and I still really enjoyed that movie, but there's, yeah. I don't know. I, that was awesome.
0: I, I didn't see that until recently for the, for the other podcast. And I will say that sometimes I have, I guess you could say like, a, I try not to be a movie snob. I'll watch anything. And that was one that I passed on because it came out in that huge wave of found footage stuff. And I'm like, Uh, I don't know. It's a cool concept, but there's no way they got it right. And then we watched it for the podcast. I was blown away. I was like, you know, maybe I had the opposite effect where my expectation was so low. I really loved it. And you had them so high that you you enjoyed it too, but it wasn't, didn't quite live up. But yeah, it's definitely, you know, very cool concept. Very, and, and, you know, like, like any genre, they, they sort of ran the found footage thing into the ground and we don't see a whole lot of them now but it was a cheap way to make a lot of money. And now we're sort of seeing these smaller artsy, slow burn horror movies that are making a lot of money. Like um, Ari Aster did, you know, hereditary and midsummer and, you know, it follows. And I I feel like they're in this new class of, I think people are calling it elevated horror. I think that's a sort of um, an insulting, almost, uh, term because it's it's like saying, Oh, it's like horror but for smart people or for for, you know, people who like good stuff. And yeah, I like it, it all. I like all the trashy stuff and I like this too, so Yeah, it's
1: like uh I don't know, A twenty four, like when I think of A twenty four movies, I think of artsy fartsy and like like I feel like when I watch an A twenty four movie I feel like I'm a um a film student in like L.A. or New York City or something like that. Yeah,
0: like you're watching it, a film and not a movie, right? You yeah, can call right. It like,
1: like, like Merlot in my hand. And I'm, I'm swirling it around and sniffing it and, and just tasting and finding the different notes in the horror movies. and it's just Exactly. Like, but Hereditary, I saw Hereditary for the first time, um, I think early on in quarantine. Uh, cause, um, uh, but I, I thought it was great. And there are definitely aspects where i had to look it up like like with this movie like with uh it follows like you can look up the subtle nuances of the film that the director puts in there for you so you can try to figure out more about the story and figure out more of how the creature works but you know with hereditary like i honestly like didn't understand what exactly was going on uh even at the very end i was just like i think oh I mean, yeah it happens, but let me just uh go to wikipedia just to be sure and i'm glad i did and I spent maybe a half hour to 40 minutes reading up on like the behind the scenes of the, the inner workings of the movie and of, of the characters and why things happen the way it does. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean this, like I said, this sort of falls into that class of, you know, artsy horror. I, I would say this is not necessarily at the, I don't know. I wouldn't, I'm not saying this isn't at the top, but it's, it's not so far out there. Like, some of these movies where I feel like anybody, like even teenagers can probably watch this and, yeah. and enjoy it. And it's definitely creepy. Uh I remember after it came out and it did its, its initial short run, I think for two weeks and then it expanded wide and came to Burlington. They had fully ramped up the marketing campaign and had started putting more trailers on TV. And I think they, got a quote from John Carpenter and he said something like, you know, this movie's absolutely terrifying or the most terrifying movie in the last 10 years or something. And of course they plastered that all over everything. And oh, wouldn't you? <laughs> right. And it's just so cool to see like in a time, ne- like modern times to see John Carpenter's name getting that much respect because there was a, a time where in the, I'd say definitely the nineties into probably the Oh man, probably up until maybe five or six years ago, maybe maybe more, maybe ten years or so ago, where Carpenter wasn't considered that cool for a while. He was sort of uh old dusty director, and then just like everything comes back into style, you know, his his music has influenced so many of these. Like everybody who does a synth score owes John Carpenter so much. And they all give him credit, and then he's he's sort of this crotchy old guy and he's like you know uh well if they if they really want to thank me, they should send me a check you know and, and yeah. it's yeah. funny because he when he did these he made his movies on the cheap, especially his early ones, the only reason he did the scores was to save money because he couldn't afford to hire somebody to do the music, so he did the music himself right. and that's the charm of his stuff, and now it's funny because we have these professional musicians who are trying to not copy, but trying to emulate what he did and everything he did was sort of a happy accident. And now we're, we have, you know, people trying very hard True. to emulate that and and do it again. And it's it's so funny because I remember they did an interview. He He's done a few records recently called lost themes where it's just music to movies that don't exist, which is a cool concept, but yeah. they asked him, about scoring movies and what he thinks of every director or every composer listing him as an influence and he's like you know if you're hiring somebody to do a John Carpenter score I'm alive you can hire John Carpenter and I will write you a score he's like I'm sitting at home playing video games hire me and I'll just do it and uh <laughs> it's sort of like, I think people are so intimidated or they assume he's going to be too expensive, which he might be, but it's just his attitude about it was like, stop hiring people to emulate me when I'm available. Just hire me. Cause I could use the money. And uh, they did that in the new Halloween. They had him do the score and it's turned out so fucking good, but it, it's just, his attitude is so funny. Cause he's like, these people are copying me. And he's always been about like, how can I get paid in this situation? So his, his, comment did not at all surprise me but it's i'm always sort of like man can you imagine doing like an indie movie and having john carpenter do the score it'd be so cool
1: that'd be uh pretty that'd be impressive to say the least
0: yeah yeah and uh, i'm you know i would love to see it i think he's he is doing the score for halloween kills which is supposed to come out in october but who knows with uh everything we haven't seen any trailers or anything for quite a while because of Uh, the pandemic that's currently going on so we'll see if if he ends up if we end up getting that movie this year or not but we know it's finished but um yeah of course we steered away from the the main show but that's okay that's what this podcast is about first time so uh yeah i'm glad you liked the movie like i said when we were talking horror and you said you hadn't seen it follows i instantly thought of you just because of the score i know you work at a record label. You're really, out of all my friends, probably the person who is most into music and knows music in and out and knows the business more than anybody I know. And to me, this movie, right away, like I said, even people who didn't like the movie love the score and that sticks out to me. It's so unique. And I'm I'm sort of surprised that uh, Disaster Peace hasn't really done anything else. You think this movie would have everybody would be calling him i think he did oh i'm trying to think i think they got him to do the music for like a scott pilgrim video game after this um and something else but i think he's stuck mostly to video games since this and he does indie games but i would love to hear more movies done by disaster piece
1: yeah definitely the the score was a, a highlight of the movie for sure so
0: Excellent. Um, as we wrap this up, I'm just going to see. Let's let's have you sort of read off your. Um, where can people find you on social media? Where should they follow you? Where Where should yeah, it follows. Where should they follow you? Um, and uh, you know, where can they find more information about what you do, or you know, give anything a shout out that you like.
1: Oh, okay. Well, um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I guess uh, my username my handle is like maxwell charles so it's just the at sign you know and then my first and middle name m-a-x-w-e-l-l-c-h-a-r-l-e-s um on instagram and then um i'm on linkedin i guess if anybody wants to connect with me on linkedin and then i'm on facebook um but uh i don't know yeah and then i can plug uh the label i work for it's called fixed um, and we, we have two, two divisions of fixed it's fixed, uh, which is electronic rock and EDM and IDM. Uh, and then we have uh, fixed neon, which is synth wave, So kind of like, you know, a little bit like, like little John Carpenter, John Carpenter esque a little bit, but, uh,
0: yeah, like, it's
1: mostly like eighties inspired synth sounds with, a uh, uh, made with modern production, I would say. Um, and you can find, uh, our label, um, on any social media platform at either Fixed Music or Fixed Neon, and that's just F-I-X-T, and that's how you spell Fixed. But yeah, we got a lot of really talented artists on our roster, both on the uh, electronic rock side and the uh, synthwave side. If anybody's interested in those genres of music, we have um, several Spotify playlists that you can check out. That's that's where I like to push people if they ever want to check out some of the music I work with is uh, um, we have a, a pretty good presence on Spotify and I highly re- recommend anybody who's thinking about getting Spotify premium, definitely go for it.
0: It's so worth it. So I agree. We just switched over from a family plan to the couple's plan. It saves us a couple oh, of yeah. bucks, but uh, we've had premium since Spotify first came out. Like I haven't heard a commercial in five years. I love Spotify. I use it all the <laughs> time for podcasts oh, and music. I
1: still got the commercial memorized. It's like, "Want a break from the ads? Click now for, to hear 30 minutes of ad-free music." <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have the same like four commercials on loop, and I swear, I kind of like, I swear they have, um, they they make them a little bit too mediocre. I, they feel like they make them kind of crappy on purpose, so that you say uh, you subscribe. Yeah, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna pay the money, so I don't have to hear these um, subpar ads. I guess I don't know, but.
0: Yeah, they should play uh, local ads on there that will really get people to subscribe to premium.
1: I know I had some before I got Spotify premium. I know I was hearing I think a couple of local ads. So you can there is geo-targeting, I'm pretty sure. So wow.
0: But yeah. I, I don't even think about it anymore cuz I just like I said, I I even in my car I stream from my phone to my my um car's player through U or through uh Bluetooth, so I never really, I mean, I, li- when I do listen to physical media, it's on vinyl at home with my turntable yeah. and then it's streaming. It's like nowhere in between. I can't remember the last time I bought a CD. Yeah. Uh, I, which is just funny how that works.
1: Yeah. I aspire to be, I aspire to get to your level uh, hopefully next year. Cause like I drive a 2003 Mustang and that sucker, it, it, it doesn't have, it's too new to have the cassette input. So like, yeah. it, cassette input you can plug in an aux cord in the back of it usually on like any model um but my car is a little bit too new and way too old to have uh an aux auxiliary out or bluetooth so i've got like maybe like 30 mixed cds in my car and i don't even label them i just like pop one in i'm like let's see what i put on this one so i'm but i'm I'm really excited to one day one day have a car with uh, an aux cord (laughs) so
0: I had a Daewoo Lanos before my, my Scion and it had, it, it was like the perfect time for the car because it had a cassette deck. It had CD and you could use that like cassette converter. You could plug into your iPod or whatever. And, um, yep. just really weird. Cause I, I, I mean, it, I think it might've had an auxiliary, but, um, it was just like that. There was probably like a brief window, of a couple of years where cars had both cassette and CD. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But that could be a whole different episode just talking about, um, formats, but yep, <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm glad that we got to make it happen. I'm glad that you like the movie. I'm, I'm guessing eventually I'll run into one where I suggest something and the person doesn't like it, which is, which will be fun. You know, that's part of, part of the, uh, I guess the entertainment of the show is, you know, I'm not always going to hit out of the park and I'm and eventually we're going to start doing, I think Nikki has an idea of um, people recommending things to me. She has a movie she wants me to watch. So sort of flipping the role and, and having me watch something for the first time will be interesting. Um, I'm also interested in getting to try something other than movies, but obviously that's going to be my main thing, movies and TV, but I, I'm going to get someone to like, try some weird food that I like or something and and do a podcast, but I don't know if we can talk for an hour on that, but (laughs) we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. But um, thanks again for coming on. It was a great talking to you and I hope that this pandemic can wrap up soon so we can hang out again and watch movies again and talk music until 2am again. And, uh, but you're always welcome on here. Like if you ever think of something that you see that I might not have seen and you think, or even like a record or something that I might like, never hesitate to reach out Yeah. and cool. uh, let me know. And this is, you know, we're going on an hour and 20 minutes now and it's been a lot of fun. It time flew by. So uh, again, thanks Max for coming on. It was good talking to you.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad I did this.
0: Thank you for listening to the first time podcast. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Thanks to Scott Schreiner of Weezer for our intro and outro music. And last but not least, remember to leave us a review. That's how we get listeners. So like, share, find us on social media, and let us know what you think. We'll see you next time on First Time Podcast.